chapter 9. Exodus 9. We've got a little bit of a longer reading tonight, so we'll... Start in verse 13 and we're going to go through to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 9, starting in verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle, and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regard not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast, upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of the Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as, uh, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both men and beasts. And the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough, that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail, and I'll let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you will not fear, uh, not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, and the, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord. And the thunders and hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon, uh, the, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let's pray as we begin our time tonight. Dear wonderful and heavenly Father, we just thank you for this passage. 
Lord, as we've continued to be able to just uh, walk through and step through each of these plagues of Egypt, Lord, we just pray tonight that as we just look at your warnings and your love and your care given to both your people and to the people of Egypt, Lord, we just pray that we might be able to just see you and see your power and your might and your mercy and your love in just the fullness. Lord, help us to be able to just spend this time, this evening, just studying your word. Lord, give me the words to say and hide me, Lord, behind you. Allow your name to be glorified and praised, Lord, as we look at this and see of your care that you had for all the people. And help us, Lord, to be able to just gain that greater understanding of who you are and what you did, we pray. In Jesus Christ's precious and wondrous name, amen. How many times have you seen this situation in a movie, a TV show, or even in real life? A main character has fallen upon hard times. Maybe they, or a close relative, are looking death in the face. Maybe they're searching for something that they really need. Maybe they are down to their last few dollars. No matter what the situation, wherever they might be at, they begin to cry out to God in prayer. They ask God for his help. They ask God for his assistance. They ask God to keep their loved one alive. They ask God to give them some money to help them get back on their feet. They ask God to help them find what they're looking for. They probably make all these promises to give away money to help uh, give away money to the poor, to make sure that every Sunday they would promise to go to church. Or maybe they make the promise to give up a certain sin or lust of the flesh. And yet, as soon as things do start to work for them, as soon as things start to go back their way, God is cast aside and the promises are completely forgotten. And their true heart starts to come to the fore. They were not truly repentant. They just wanted the benefit from God. They wanted to call God up on the triple zero and go, oh, I need your help. But as soon as God provides the assistance, they go, oh, it's okay, God, I've sorted out the problem myself. And this all too familiar tale is replicated here in our passage with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, calls out for God's help as he once again experiences another plague upon him and upon all the land. But his heart was not truly repentant. And he simply just wants things to benefit himself. And so tonight, let us look at this passage and we'll be able to see the three stages of the seventh plague. And in doing so, we'll be able to see God's mercy and God's power and how we should respond. First of all, let's see the warning and God's mercy. The warning in God's mercy. I won't read again through, but verses 13 to 21 gives this warning. The warning that Moses gives to, uh, sorry, that God gives to Moses and Aaron to be able to tell unto Pharaoh. And once again, the instruction is given to him to say, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. I mean, how many times as we've looked through the book of Exodus and throughout each of these plagues, we see this phrase given. Let my people go that they may serve me. God wants his people back. God wants to be able to take his people back to the promised land, the land that he had set apart for them. So that they might be able to serve him in the promised land. 
And God is sending this message to ensure that Pharaoh knows that there is no one else like him. There is no one else like the Lord God. Verse 14, For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thy heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. God is saying, Pharaoh, there is none like me. I am more powerful and more above than what you could even imagine. That is why I'm telling you, let my people go. God also wanted to be able to get the glory. Drop down to verse 16. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And originally I was looking, as we were looking at this, we were going to have to uh, nick around, but it was going to take too long. But we can look through the book of Joshua and we can look through the book of 1 Samuel and several times we can see the Philistines and many different nations and many different cities seeing of what, of how they had heard what God did here with the plagues of Egypt. God's name was being glorified throughout the whole land because of what he was doing here in Egypt. And really, if Pharaoh thought about it, he would not have any of this power without God. And that's what God reminds him of. Verse 16, in, in very deed for this cause, have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power. Pharaoh's main purpose here is to be able to show God's glory. That's why God had raised Pharaoh up into the position that he was in, so that God would be glorified. Pharaoh himself would actually have no other power except that that was given by God. Now don't get me wrong, Pharaoh had a choice. Pharaoh had the chance to be able to repent and turn to God. Pharaoh had the chance to be able to obey and listen to God and choose to let his people go, but he chose to disobey God. He chose to reject God. He chose to leave Israel under submission under him and chose not to let them go as God had instructed and so as we saw last time, God left him to his hard heart. God left him to continually just keep on hardening his own heart time and time again as he rejected the message of God. And so now Moses starts to give the instruction and the warning to Pharaoh of what is about to occur. Verse 18, Behold, tomorrow about this time I'll cause it to rain a very grievous hail such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. These words, very grievous, means a vehement heavy hail. A vehement heavy hail is just an amazing thing that would never have been seen before. And that's what God says, that since it has not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. In other words, since Egypt had been uh, developed and created as a township and as a city and as a country, since that point of time until now, since uh, when Moses comes to talk to him, there has never been seen such a vehement, grievous hail upon the land. Now God could have left that message there. He could have simply told him of what was coming and got his servant to be able to walk away. But God still had another warning, another reminder to Pharaoh of what he needed to do. God provides this warning in verse 19. Send therefore now and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast 
which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home. The hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. God says to him, I'm going to send this very grievous, very vehement, heavy hail upon the land. But then he goes on and he warns them even further. So anyone who is in the land, they will be destroyed. They will be killed. But if they are brought out of the, the spaces where they could be able to hit with hail and they're brought under cover, then they will be saved. So God is providing this second reminder to him, listen to what I'm saying, obey what I'm following, and then your people will be safe. And as we see in verse 20, some of those servants that were listening and were hearing this message that was given, listened to what God said. Verse 20, he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. Many of them heard the message. Many of them had had enough, had probably been through these six previous plagues and gone, do you know what? God's warning us. I'm going to make sure I save my servants and save my cattle because I've seen what God can do and it's not good. And they got them out. But yet still some, including Pharaoh, chose to just disobey. Some who had seen this over and over again, I don't know, maybe they thought it was a fluke. Maybe they thought it was just you know, some old person who was just talking nonsense. I don't know what it was, but no matter what it was, they simply just ignored it. In verse 21 it says, And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. God had provided this warning and yet the warning was not heeded. The reminder was not heeded. These constant reminders that God was giving and providing to Pharaoh, to providing to the nation of Egypt, and yet many of them just kept on ignoring it completely. But throughout this passage especially, these verses 13 to 21, the thing that I see the most, and the thing that we can see from the most from this, is God's mercy. God didn't have to provide the warning. God could have just gone, do you know what? Destroyed the whole city. God could have gone, do you know what? There's the hail, bang, done. Destroy all the people, leave these people, Israel. Do you know what? He could have done it right back at the start when God had said, go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said no, he said, well, you're dead. He could have just wiped him out. But still, time and time and time again, through each of the plagues and through the next couple of plagues even as well, God continued to show his mercy. He provided the chance to be able to let the people go. He provided the chance for the people of Egypt to go, do you know what? We need to let them go. They were given so many opportunities. And yet on each and every occasion, God was rejected by Pharaoh. God was rejected by the people of Egypt. God was rejected because they simply did not listen. God showed them the mercy by giving them warnings. God showed them the mercy by not just giving the warning, but also telling them what they could do so that they could avoid the incoming plague. What a wonderful, merciful God to be able to show these sinners, to show these people who were disobeying him over and time and time again, 
to continue to provide that warning and the reminder to them. And what a wonderful, merciful God that we serve. That time and time again, when we do the wrong thing, he still forgives. When time and time again, when we disobey, he's still there right beside us. That, that time and time again, when we trip and we fall, as Darren looked at in Sunday school this morning, that he's always there to be able to help us up and to be able to be with us each and every step. Why does he do this? It's because of his nature, his love, his care and his compassion. Because he is loving, he is kind, he is merciful. And we should never forget that. Psalm 145 verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23 As we know, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm sure if we'd had the opportunity to be God in that situation, we would have destroyed Egypt well and truly a long time ago. But God is merciful. God is loving. And that's why he shows his mercy and his love and his compassion to us as well. We should be thankful for his mercy and then willing to share that to others, telling them of the gospel. Well, after the warning was given, it was time now for the plague to start. So secondly, let's see the plague and God's power. The plague and God's power, starting in verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the house smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Moses then goes forth and he stretches out his hands to, before God, just as God had commanded. And as soon as he stretched forth his hands, then the hail began to fall. The thunder began to rumble. And this magnificent, vehement storm hit upon the land of Egypt. And not just like a little spot like we're used to, where we will often have hail here in Grafton and nothing over south, or and nothing out Junction Hill. This storm, this hail was spread throughout all of Egypt. No matter where you live, whether you're up in the north or down in the south, out to the east or to the west, you were hit by these massive hailstones raining down upon the land. Just as God had said it would. Now, hail here in Grafton, we know, is not unusual. We'll probably have hail maybe once, twice a year, maybe a couple of times a year at the right time. But hail in Egypt was very rare. In actual fact, rain in Egypt was very rare. And that in itself speaks of God's might. I started to have a look at it. So Egypt's annual rainfall is about 52 millimetres per year. 
Now, I'm going to put that in a little bit of perspective. The average rainfall in Grafton, well, not this year, obviously, but the average rainfall in Grafton is 986 millimetres on average. Right? On the 28th of February this year, which is when Lismore started to really have their big flood, we had 250 millimetres in Grafton just on that day. Right? Now, remember, Egypt had 52 millimetres per year. And then on the 1st of March, so that following day, that day where it was still raining a fair bit, but certainly not as much as the day before, in Grafton, just on that day, we had 53 millimetres of rain. So if you think about that, that day, that second day after, we had the same amount of rain that Egypt would often have in a year. The day before, we had five years' worth of their rain in one day. So that sort of gives the perspective of how much rain they would have in the land of Egypt. Now, people might go, well, how does that work? Well, they would often have uh, rain further up on the Nile, and then the Nile River would then be able to flood from there. So that's how their crops and everything would be able to work. But that explains how much rain was unheard of in and around Egypt. And hail itself was basically unheard of in the land of there. So this hail falling upon the land is magnificent in and of itself. But then we're talking the hail and grafting is tiny little pieces that you know, it would hurt if you're out in the hail. But it's not going to definitely kill you. But these pieces were killing people and killed anyone who was out in the land. But then you go in further and you have a look in verse 24 and it says, So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. So here was this hail mixed with fire falling down from heaven, destroying everything in its path. And just see this fireball of hail coming down. It just blows my mind completely. Now some commentators talked about whether this word fire here is lightning, and that could be what is explained of it. Especially as, let's turn actually to Psalm 78. We've turned to Psalm 78 several times as we've gone through this book of Exodus, because it sort of gives this parallel account. Psalm 78, and we're going to look at verses uh, 47 and 48. Let's give, go back to 45 just to get a bit of a context to it. He sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them, we saw, saw that, and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labour unto the locusts. Verse 47, he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. Verse 48, he gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. So it gives you a bit of an idea that these hail were coming down and destroying their vines and destroying any sort of crops that they had. And also their cattle was being destroyed by the hail. So to, for a piece of hail to knock out a, a cattle gives you an idea of how big these hail pieces must have been, and their flocks were being consumed by hot thunderbolts. In the end, this weather storm, this weather pattern, was just so vehement upon the land that we could not even imagine what it would have been like. And man, beasts and trees were all impacted, verse 25, and the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the, land, uh, in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. 
So man and beast and trees and crops were all impacted. And all of Egypt suffered. Look across at verses 31 and 32. And the flax and the barley were smitten, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was bold. Now the flax was often used as like a material because they didn't often use cotton because that was often seen for those who were travelling. So the flax was destroyed and the barley was destroyed. Now there's a little bit of God's mercy in verse 32 again, but the wheat and the rye was not smitten for they were not grown up. So he was providing them for something later on, but we'll see later on that that was actually more for the locusts to eat when the next plague started to hit as well. But God was still destroying everything that was around. And much of their food, much of their livelihood, if they were people who would collect the flax and make garments from it, all their livelihood was destroyed. Except for where? Well, verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Well, that does start sound like a graft on hail. Hail in one spot and the other side gets nothing. And Koshin was saved and again, God was taking care of his people. And once again, doesn't that speak so much about the Lord's power? The Lord's might to be able to just completely destroy and annihilate so many crops for any people who were left out in the, uh, in the storm, for any cattle that was left out in the storm. All of those were completely destroyed and annihilated and yet God's people, God's people up there in the land of Goshen were completely carefree and looked after. Just as he'd done so many times before, through each of one and every one of these plagues, God was taking care of his people. And we're suddenly just so much reminded of God's mighty power, even to that finite detail. That he destroyed some of the crops and left others, as a, once again, the reminder of what was to come. And shows that our God has the power over everything over the weather, over the hail, over the fire sent from heaven. Hail sent in rain-like quantities. No wonder, as time and time again, as God had sent his judgment upon the people, many of the Egyptians had heeded the warning. And it shows to us that our God is the powerful God that we can trust and rely upon. He is the God who is in control of all things. The one who we should go to because he is in charge. And we can put our hope and trust and reliance upon him. As the storm begins to hit and the devastation is felt throughout the land of Egypt, Pharaoh begins to realize his mistake. And it starts a chain of responses. So last of all, let's see the responses, both the good and the bad. The responses. Let's just read verses 27 and 28. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord for it is enough. For there is be no more mighty thunderings and hail. And I'll let you go and ye shall stay no longer. We now have three responses given, two by Pharaoh and one by Moses. The first response is seen here in verses 27 and 28, where Pharaoh calls out to Moses and Aaron. He admits, I have sinned. The Lord is righteous. We are wicked. 
And he asked the Moses to entreat the Lord for him. And you start to think, if you didn't know the rest of the story, you start to think, wow, maybe he's got it. Maybe he's finally going to let his people know, go and let God be the God who he deserves to be. But if you look at this here, especially in verse 28, we start to see that there, although there's a repentance, it's only on the most smallest minimalistic scale. You see, Pharaoh isn't calling out to God himself. He's simply calling out to Moses and Aaron to call out to God. Now, if he was repentant, he would have been lying there calling out to God and talking about him being the sinner and him needing to uh, trust in the Lord. But he's not. He's simply asking Moses to come and entreat the Lord for him. It's like someone saying, pray for me, but they're not doing anything about it. Pharaoh asked the weather to be able to go there in verse 28, entreat the Lord for me, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings than hail. Yes, he promises that he'll let his people go, but he knows that he just wants this hail to stop. He's not repenting because he's trusting, wanting to trust the Lord and follow after the Lord. He's simply repenting because he's worried he's going to get destroyed himself. And so Moses agrees to entreat the Lord in verse 29. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord. And the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more how, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. He agrees to go speak to God and, choose, and agrees that he will put his hands up and ask God to be able to stop the thunder and the hail. And reminds him that you now know that God is the one who is in charge. But Moses isn't foolish. Moses knows what's going on. He says that in verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. I know that you're simply asking me, Pharaoh, to go and entreat the Lord because you don't want to be destroyed. Because you know that I am the only way you might be able to get this to be able to stop. Because God is in charge. And I will do it, but I know that you are not repenting before me, God, uh, before me, Pharaoh. So Moses went to God in verse 33, and Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. He goes with arms spread towards God with the right response, going before God and seeking the Lord, entreating the Lord for this to be able to completely stop. And God does what is said and the thunders stop and the hail cease and everything just settles and calm. It's like that peace after the storm. But almost as if on cue, Pharaoh repents of his repent. And decides that, you know what, now it's stopped and just go back to what I was doing before. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Once again, Pharaoh's heart grew hard just as it was foretold beforehand. And as soon as that hurdle, that problem was removed, then the promise was quickly forgotten and Pharaoh went back to what he was doing before. 
And he refused to let God's people go free. In verse 35, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. He called on God when it suited him, but was just as quick to forget what he promised. It's a replica of the world's response. And we saw that in the introduction. How many times have we seen someone call out to God and say, God, have mercy on me. God, save me. God, help me. But then as soon as things change and God does bring something along, they go, oh, no, that's right. I've got it now, God. Thanks. Don't worry. And just go on their own way, forgetting everything that went before. They call out for God on that triple O helpline. But as soon as things get fixed, they just go, oh, thanks, God. That's right. And completely ignore him once again. God shouldn't be our saving lifeline. God should not be left for those emergencies. We shouldn't go through every single step and try and work things out. And then when we're really stuck, we go to God and ask God to help. No, God should be the first thing we do. God should be the first one that we go to and say, God, I need your help. God, I need you to be able to provide a solution for this. I'm stuck. But so often, how often do we do all these things and they go, oh, I should go to God now. No, God should be the first thing we go to. God should be the one that we seek out and ask for assistance because he is the one who is all powerful. He is the one who is merciful and loving and kind. He is the one who is in control of all things. We should make sure that we're giving that glory to God and worshipping him right from the get-go, seeking his face. And then as we then take those things and learn those lessons, we should then go forth telling others about his mercy and his power so that they might be able to see who this mighty and wonderful and merciful God is and share it with them. I wonder how do we respond to the all-powerful and merciful and loving God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear wonderful and heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are loving and caring and kind. And you are merciful. And even though we stumble and fall, you are there to be able to help us and pick us up. Lord, even though so often we choose the wrong things and forget to come before you, You are still there with us, ready to guide us as soon as we turn our eyes and our hearts back to you. Lord, we just pray that you might help us each and every day, Lord, to seek your face first. Lord, help us to make that choice to be able to follow after you. Lord, that all other things might be put away instead, that your name might be lifted up and glorified. Lord, we just thank you for this reminder of Pharaoh of how not to live. But instead, Lord, help us to have our eyes fixed upon you, knowing that you are the great and all-powerful and almighty, but also loving and caring and compassionate God who simply wants us to be able to serve and honour and glorify you each and every day we pray. In Jesus' precious and wondrous name.
Listen, number <coughs> 27 as we close tonight. <coughs> number 27, I sing the mighty power of God. Let's sing the first and the last. We'll stand to sing after.